you have your Bibles, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Today we're going to tackle the subject of giving in the New Testament. And the reason that we're doing this is because there's a lot of misinformation and bad teaching out there in the body of Christ concerning giving. Two of those teachings are New Testament tithing and also seed faith. And I know this is going to get me into a lot of trouble with a lot of churches and ministries, but you know what? It's the Word of God that governs. What we see in the New Testament should govern our action and our walk in the Spirit. Now, when I say two teachings, one is the New Testament tithing, and then you have seed faith. When it comes to New Testament tithing, if you go through the New Testament, you see that tithing is mentioned only about three or four times. I think it's three times in the Gospels and one time in the Epistles. Uh, the Gospel accounts... When they mention tithing, it's, there's, tithing's not a command. And in fact, a few times, uh, I haven't read them recently, but if you look at the context, the context is that the Pharisees should be tithing, and they, of course, were under the Old Covenant, not the New Covenant. I think the epistle rendering is in Hebrews, and you look at tithing there, and there's, it is used as a descriptive term and not as a command. Now, when you go back to Malachi 3, 8 through 11, the tithing scriptures that everybody uses, you see off the bat that they don't apply to the New Testament believer. Let me read them, and then we'll go through why. Verse 8, Matthew 3, 8 through 11, Will anyone rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how are we robbing you? And God says, in your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. And I will rebuke the locust for you so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. Now, preachers use this to say that New Testament believers need to tithe, otherwise they'll be cursed. The problem with that is New Testament believers can't be cursed because they're in Christ. So you throw that out. Next, they talk about, well, if you tithe, then God will open up the windows of heaven and pour you down a blessing. Well, Ephesians 1.3 says that New Testament believers are already blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So you throw that out. Finally, they say, well, if you tithe, then God will rebuke the locust for you. And the locust is a metaphor for the devil. The thing is, in the New Testament, in Peter, Peter says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He doesn't say anything about tithing and the Lord rebuking the devil. It's the New Testament believer who stands in the position of Christ and who resists the devil and the devil flees. So you see that New Testament tithing, really, when you go through just the three planks, they're easily shown to not have any application for New Testament believers. The next teaching that we have is seed faith, and seed faith is huge because Paul does talk about 
sowing and reaping in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The problem with seed faith is it doesn't follow what Paul says in chapter 9. Now, I went ahead and I bought some books on seed faith. I went all the way back to the 1950s and 60s um, to get those books where it looks like that this teaching really cropped up and became prominent. The number one book on seed faith outlines three principles, and it calls them principles. It says, God is your source, and that's based upon Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The second principle is, give that it may be given to you, and that's based upon Luke 6.38, And the third principle is expect a miracle, expect some kind of God multiplication. Here's the thing about seed faith, the way that it's preached today. One, even though preachers say, well, you know, it's all about giving. Actually, the way it's preached in the context is you sow money, you reap money. In fact, my wife and I went to a recent meeting where the preacher actually just came out and said, Seed faith is money farming. You know, you give into the offering and God will multiply it back. Of course, how God multiplies it back is real ambiguous. You know, some preachers in the past have talked about super debt, supernatural debt cancellation, um, write-offs from the IRS, dismissed lawsuits. I mean, they come up with a panoply of things that really don't apply to anybody, you know? Um, or they're just kind of like these weird things that people testify, yes, um, we owed a bunch of money and the hospital wrote it off or something like that. That's a problem with seed faith because it's not, it's not really scriptural as we can see when we read Paul. The second problem with seed faith is it's self-centered and not sacrificial. Think about that a minute. You know, when the preacher says, you need to sow into this offering because if you don't sow, you're not going to get anything back. So you need to sow, you need to give money. Well, what is the primary motivation there? It's not to help out anybody. It's not to propagate the gospel. It's not really anything but trying to get a return on your own. It's very self-centered. And the thing about the New Testament is the New Testament is about sacrifice. It's about giving because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And we're going to get into that when we read chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. One other problem with seed faith is it's preached as principles, kind of like deistic principles. And by that, what I mean is that it's taught that virtually anybody can take part. You know, it's take these Take these few principles, go, go run away with them, go put them into action, and they'll work for you each and every time. Well, the New Testament shows that we are wholly reliant upon the Lord. And we are wholly reliant upon the Lord because we have to walk in the Spirit. Remember when Jesus was walking the earth and he said, Of myself, I can do nothing. Well, it should be the same for the New Testament believer. And it's the same for the New Testament believer when it comes to New Testament giving. And we're going to see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8.
So I'm sure you're there by now. But what I need to do is I need to uh, go over to Galatians to set up our reading for 2 Corinthians so you understand the context. Now, you don't need to turn there, but I'm reading from Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. There, Paul writes and says, And when James and Cephas and John, or James and Peter and John, who were acknowledged pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised or they to the Jews. Now, verse 10 is what I'm interested in. They asked only one thing, that we remember the poor, which was actually what I was eager to do. What Peter, James, and John told Barnabas and Paul was this. Okay, you go to the Gentiles, but remember the poor here in Jerusalem. If you remember Paul's history before he got born again, he persecuted the church. Remember? In fact, he said he set out to destroy the church. And the church at that time were Jews who had converted to Christianity, who had become believers. Well, he wasn't a one-man army. He wasn't a one-man show. That persecution was still going on. And we see that in the book of Acts when it comes to Paul's own preaching. So Peter, James, and John says, well, go out to the Gentiles, but remember the poor here in Jerusalem. And not poor generally, they're talking about the poor, the believers. And Paul says, well, I'm eager to do that. I'll do that. Now, one thing that Paul did based upon this was he started taking up a collection from all the churches that he planted and went to. And it was a collection that he, he was putting together in order to take back to Jerusalem in order for Peter, James, and John to disperse to all the poor Jews and help them out. Now, with that background, we get an idea of what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So let's read through chapter uh, verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to go back down and we're going to break them down. Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. Let's go to verse 7. Now you, now as you, Corinthians, excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. 
Now that's our anchor verse, but let's go up to verse 1 and work our way down so we understand really what Paul is saying here. He's, he writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. Now Macedonia was a Roman province that included Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. And, you, and we know that he, Paul went through these cities. And he went through these cities in his second missionary journey. And you go down to verse 3 and he says, I can testify, meaning take my word for it because I'm a witness to these things. The thing about Macedonia was you look up history and you find that it was one of the more poorer provinces of Rome. And we see that borne out here with what Paul is saying. Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea, he talks about the Macedonian Christians and their extreme poverty. He doesn't just say poverty, but he says extreme poverty. Now let's work our way down. We have a picture of who these people are. And Paul writes, For during a severe ordeal of affliction or persecution, the abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, meaning I was there, they voluntarily gave according to their means or ability, and even beyond their means. Now, let me stop there for a minute. Let's, let's hold out. Along with seed faith and along with tithing, there is this uh, teaching about stewardship, that we are stewards of God's money. And, you know, that sounds all well and good. It sounds very Boy Scoutish. But compare what you've heard about stewardship to what we just read here, that these Macedonian Christians gave even beyond their means. Beyond their means. Well, that means that they just kind of blew stewardship out of the window, right? Because stewardship is all about being reasonable. At least that's how all the teachings that I've heard. You know, you're a steward of God's money. So, you know, you allocate it this way and you do it this way and you make sure that everything's okay over here. It's almost like you have to deal with your own finances as a financial planner. And you see here with the Macedonians, they gave even beyond their means. So anyway, I wanted you to see that because stewardship you know, sounds so nice and reasonable, but sometimes nice and reasonable isn't what the Spirit of God is telling us to do in our walk in the Spirit. So, let's go on to verse 4, begging us earnestly for the privilege or the grace of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. Now, let's get a picture of what Paul is painting here. You know, he's writing to Corinthians, Corinthian Christians, and we find out later on in chapter 8 that they are affluent. I mean, these Christians have money. And what Paul is doing through this letter is he's appealing to them to give into this offering. And he's doing that by pointing back at Macedonian Christians, Christians who don't have as much. Christians who actually, according to his testimony, are on the lowest level of poverty. 
makes you think back to the woman uh, or the widow with the two mites in the Gospels. Remember her? You know, Jesus is watching everybody put money into the temple treasury, you know, one after another, one after another. And I think one gospel even says they were putting quite a bit of money into the treasury. And here comes a little widow and she puts in two mites. It's like two cents. And Jesus turns around to his disciples and says, she gave more than anybody. Well, it's kind of like Paul is saying, hey, Corinthians, uh, we've got churches full of these widows with two mites. And look what they have done. You know, not only, not only just with their regular lives, I mean, these people are going through severe persecution and extreme poverty. Not just that they are poor, but he relates to circumstances, well, they're under the gun. They're under the gun of persecution, and what do they do? They give according to their means, and even above their means, above their ability. And in fact, in verse 4, Paul says, they begged us. They begged to give. And they did it with exuberant joy. Now compare that to what we usually see in the church today with these other uh, teachings that I've discussed. Whether it's seed faith, whether it's tithing, I mean, there was a period of time back so many years ago where people would applaud and that kind of thing, but it was all kind of, uh, it, it was kind of like a false joy. You know, we're going to take up an offering now and people would applaud and that kind of thing, and then they go, in, they go into their teachings about it. Well, here what we see is these people had genuine exuberant joy to take part of this collection. And Paul paints the picture where he's a little bit dumbfounded about how they're doing this. You know, some way or another, they found out that Paul was taking up this offering. And then he says, he says, I'm a witness to this. They, in their dire poverty, in their ordeal of persecution, they gave over and above what they could afford. You know, I don't know what they were giving, but, you know, it might have been that, you know, they said, okay, Paul, here's my chicken, here's my wagon, here's my stool, here's my pencil, why don't you take this sink, why don't you take this and this? And he just stands there in awe of these people at their exuberant joy of taking part, of begging him, please, let us be a part of this, and it sounds like they're worse off than the Christians in Jerusalem, actually. So where did they get this joy from? And what I meant to add is in our in modern day, preachers have to drub on and on and on about offerings under these, these various teachings they have. The teachings are, you know, give, give, give. Why? Because God will multiply it back to you, the self-centered giving. Or tithing's actually taught the very same way. Give so you're not under the curse. Give so the Lord will rebuke. But you don't see anything like that here. Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians, well, I told these Macedonians about God's principles of giving and receiving. In fact, 
if he had, he wouldn't have had to tell the Corinthians about the Macedonians in order to get the Corinthians to give into the offering. He would just arrive in Corinth and say, okay, um, I'm good ground, and so why don't you sow into my ministry, and God will multiply it back. He wouldn't have to mention the Macedonians whatsoever, but he does. But he does. Why? Because he's talking to wealthy Christians who apparently, at least his perception is, that they are holding tight to their wallets. And so he points back to the Macedonians and he says, these guys, these Christians, they not only gave out of dire poverty and persecution, they gave more than what they had. More than what they had. Now, like I said, the question is, where did they get this exuberance? Where is it that they said, where, where they wanted to give Paul so much? Because it is very difficult to get people to part from their money. It's real hard. I mean, preachers have become experts at it because it is a very hard thing to do. Normally a hard thing to do. Well, we're going to see. We're going to see with our anchor verse what was motivating these Macedonian Christians. But one thing, let's go down to verse 7. Now, Paul turns the table on the Corinthians. I just want you to see this. He sets them up, talking about the Macedonian Christians and how they exuberantly gave out of their poverty, and then he turns it on them and says, in verse 7, Now you, Corinthians, you excel in everything. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost earnestness, in our love for you. And then he lays it on them. He says, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking or in this offering. But the very next line is, I don't say this as a command. I'm just testing your genuineness of love against the earnestness of these Macedonian Christians. Now notice that he says, I don't say this as a command. Well, that's a, uh, that throws a wrench into New Testament tithing, doesn't it? Because tithing is, quote, a command of the Lord, or it's taught that way. Well, Paul says here, I'm not saying give in to this offering as a command. Now, I guess if somebody's pre preaching seed faith, they can say, oh, yeah, well, you can, um, they can refuse to engage in the offering, but they're not, God's not going to multiply anything back to them. But Paul doesn't say anything about seed faith here. As, as I said, if he was relying upon seed faith in order to get them to take place to participate in the offering, then he never would have mentioned the Macedonians. He wouldn't have to because he'd just say, well, you just need to give into the offering and God will multiply it back to you. That's your motivation. But here he's using 
other Christians as a motivation for wealthy Christians to give. Now let's go down to verse 9. Because this is why the Macedonian Christians gave so exuberantly. This anchors New Testament giving all the way. The funny thing is, um, as a full gospel Christian, I've never, ever heard a sermon or even an offering sermon using this verse. I never have. In fact, I tried to look some up and I couldn't find any. But this is what the Macedonian Christians uh, lived in. This is what they worked in. This is what's motivated them to give over and beyond what they were even able to. Let's read it. For you know, you Corinthians, the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now you can look this up with different kinds of sermons, and frankly, uh, preachers butcher it on both sides of the aisle. But you know, when you compare Paul's writing with his prior writing, it, it's just perfectly clear. It's very clear. Go from 2 Corinthians, keep your uh, thumb on 8-9, and I want you to look back at 2 Corinthians 5-21. In fact, it's so close that I don't even have to turn the page. It's right on the facing page. Let me read this. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now the thing about it is, these two scriptures are parallel. Let's work through them so you can see it. Paul says, For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, let's stop there, though he was rich, Paul's not talking about being rich materially, as some preach. He's talking about being rich spiritually. Go up to uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. The Greek starts out the way I like it. It said, the one who knew no sin. What Paul's saying there is, Jesus was rich. He knew no sin. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul's not talking about Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus. He's talking about the Jesus after he was born of the Holy Ghost through Mary. Jesus, in his earth walk, he knew no sin. And in 8.9, Paul says he was rich. He describes it as being rich. Now, let's move on. For yet, yet for your sakes, he became poor. Now, Paul's not speaking about material poor, material poorness, or material poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty. How do we know? You go back to 2 Corinthians 5.21. The one not who knew not sin or not having known sin, what? Some translations say, God made sin. The Greek says, he made him sin. 
Jesus became poor. The Son of God became poor. He became sin. As we've talked about before in prior sermons, he was made a curse. He was made spiritually poor. That's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He was rich. He knew no sin. He was made poor. He became a curse. He was made to be sin. Why? He says, for your sakes. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he says, for our sake. For us. For mankind. Believers. He was made spiritually poor. He was made sin for us. And then you read further on in 8, 9. So that by his poverty, by that poverty in spirit, you might become rich spiritually. The Corinthians were born again. Go over to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So that in him we might become rich the righteousness of God. Same thing. You don't become righteous before God without being born again. You become born again, and by your reborn spirit, you become right with God. You become spiritually rich. So what's Paul saying to the Corinthians about giving? Why does he bring Basically, 2 Corinthians 5.21 into 2 Corinthians 8.9 when it comes to giving. Well, the implication is clear. Jesus was so rich, and yet he became poor for you so that you might be rich spiritually. So what is money to you? What is it to you? You know? I mean... It, it, it can't be a big thing. Giving can't be a big thing. Why? Because he became poor and you became rich. Basically, you became so rich spiritually, what is it that you give out of your material goods? And he even says that in chapter 9 when it comes to preachers. If they sow to you spiritually, what big deal is it that they reap from you materially? That's what he's saying to the Corinthians here. Because he's trying to get them to give money for the poor in Jerusalem. So he says, he was made poor for you and you've made, been made rich. So what is it that, what is it to give money into this offering? Now, think about the motivation. Go back to the uh, Macedonian Christians these Christians were so all over the fact that Jesus had become poor and they had become rich, they didn't care about their material goods, their material things. Paul, take it, take it, take this, take this, and take this, even though they really couldn't afford it. What Paul's appealing to here is Christians who still put a lot of stock in their material goods and he's trying to persuade them and show them, hey, your material goods really don't match up to what you've received spiritually. So that's what he's getting at in verse 9. 
Basically, where's your generosity? You've been given so much, you need to be generous. And that's what New Testament giving is all about. It's about being lavishly generous. It's not giving to get. It's not being self-centered. It is, it is giving because you've been given so much. And that even includes giving sacrificially, as we see with the Macedonians, and not being so rational and reasonable about it. Sometimes it's proper to say, take all this. I really can't afford it, but you know what? The Spirit is prompting me to do it, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to obey the grace that's been given us. Now, later on in chapter 8 and chapter 9, Paul deals with the idea of sowing and reaping. But he deals with it in a way that we don't see with seed faith. You know, basically, to summarize it, he basically tells the Corinthians, look, you give out of your abundance, you really don't have anything to worry about because you'll be given to a part of the body of Christ. And God's not going to leave you stranded. And what he refers to, uh, refers back to his manna, where every man had just enough and not too much. And he brings in the manna to say, in effect to the Corinthians, God's not going to leave you um, in poverty. But the reaping is you're helping out one part of the body of Christ, and in time, another part of the body of Christ is going to sow into you. It's not going to be this, quote, supernatural debt collection or something from out of the blue. It is the body of Christ helping out the body of Christ. In fact, Paul later on talks about a fair balance. Those who have abundance help out those who don't have abundance. And then as time might go on and the roles might be reversed and everybody has a fair share, a fair distribution. That's what sowing and reaping is all about. It's not about just giving into an offering and waiting for money to rain on your head. But here we see, and this is what I want to emphasize in the sermon today, is the motivation is not, hey, God's going to bless me in the future. The motivation is he became poor for us. And we have been made rich. It's not that we're going to get rich materially. It's we have been made rich spiritually. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And that is the reason why we give. That is the reason why we give to people like Paul, who is propagating the gospel, not only in word, but also in deed. You know, he goes around and he preaches, and preaching the gospel is part of the gospel. How will they hear if they don't have a preacher? But what he's also doing is he's making that fair distribution in the body of Christ. We also see that in the book of Acts. And that's what motivated the Macedonian Christians. And they said, take it, take it, take it all. Take all that we have because we want to be a part of this. Hallelujah. That's the right motivation. It's not giving to get back for yourself. It's not trying to get out from under a curse. It's because of what he did for us. We can never, never forget what he did for us, that he became poor so that we might be made rich. Hallelujah. 
So that concludes the sermon today. We might get into uh, the latter part of chapter 8 and chapter 9 in other sermons, but what I want to get over to you is the true motivation of why we give as New Testament believers. Hallelujah. Now let me remind you of Philippians 1.9. There Paul writes, And this I pray, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. Well, you've been given insight as to why we give, why we support people in the body of Christ, why we give to ministries, why we help out those who are less fortunate than us in the body of Christ. And now we can walk in it. Hallelujah. So let me conclude with a benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good, so that you may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. 